The Westminster Confession of Faith was first published in 1646. It was the result of the hard work done by a group of men called the Westminster Divines. Their goal was to outline what they believed the Scriptures principally taught. And it has been said that the Church of Christ cannot be creedless and live. Thankfully, the Westminster Confession of Faith has been the creed of the Reformed Church for almost 400 years. This podcast seeks to point you to Christ, to help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith, and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. The Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 3, of God's Eternal Decree, Paragraphs 7 and 8. The rest of mankind, God was pleased, according to the unsearchable counsel of his own will, whereby he extendeth or withholdeth mercy as he pleaseth, for the glory of his sovereign power over his creatures, to pass by and to ordain them to dishonour and wrath for their sin, to the praise of his glorious justice. Paragraph 8 The doctrine of this high mystery of predestination is to be handled with special prudence and care, that men, attending the will of God revealed in his word, and yielding obedience thereunto, may, from the certainty of their effectual vocation, be assured of their eternal election. So shall this doctrine afford matter of praise, reverence, and admiration of God, and of humility, diligence, and abundant consolation to all that sincerely obey the gospel. Many years ago, after speaking at a youth rally, I was challenged by a young man who wanted to inquire further about the Christian faith. I spent at least another 60 minutes after the rally had ended, reasoning with this young man, talking to him, answering his questions, and urging him to trust Christ. Unfortunately, by the end of our conversation, he had still not come to repentance and faith. He still could not grasp the truth of the gospel. I left him that night in that hall, still not saved. I trust and hope and pray that that young man did eventually come to Christ, but perhaps he did not. As the third chapter of our confession comes to a close, it does so with a sombre paragraph in paragraph 7. It states that the rest of mankind God was pleased according to the unsearchable counsel of his own will, whereby he extends or withholds mercy as he please for the glory of his sovereign power over his creatures to pass by. If there is an elect people of God who he has extended his hand of mercy to, then so the confession states there are others who it has pleased God to pass by. This is an incredibly difficult truth and one that many of you listening to will struggle with. Those of us from a reformed perspective have been accused of promoting a wicked doctrine, a doctrine of double predestination, where God has preordained some for salvation and others to eternal wrath. It seems to many like a harsh word, a word that could not possibly be supported by God's truth. And yet it is my strong opinion 
that we see this as the plain teaching of Scripture. In Romans 9, the Apostle Paul writes in verse 17, For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, says verse 18, God has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Later in the same chapter, Paul continues. He says in verse 21, Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honourable use and another for dishonourable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And indeed, later in the New Testament, in the book of Jude and verse 4, Jude says that certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Peter agrees. He talks of how Christ is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence for many. They stumble, he says, because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 19-20, to 20, Paul states, God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honourable use, some for dishonourable. These passages of scripture, amongst many others, are clear that the Lord has passed by a multitude and he has ordained them to dishonour and wrath for their sin, to the praise of his glorious justice. And so the teaching of the Westminster Confession is that the Lord has ordained a multitude unto salvation. We describe them as the church, the elect people of God, those who are predestined unto salvation. But the other multitude, according to the unsearchable counsel of God's own will, God has withheld mercy. He has passed by those individuals and he has ordained them to dishonour and wrath for their sin. He is not acting unjustly on this. These individuals are passed by. God has withheld his mercy, but he has ordained them to dishonour and wrath for their sin. God has not forced them to sin. He has not commanded them to sin, but he brings justice to bear for their sin and all to the praise of his glorious justice. R.C. Sproul is very helpful on this in his commentary on the Westminster Confession. He says, To rescue a sinner from his damnation is a wonderful thing, but to punish unrighteousness justly is also good. So in God's way and plan of salvation, he determines from the beginning to manifest both grace and justice, never injustice, by rescuing some, which is grace, and passing over the others, which is justice. No one gets injustice. God's eternal decree is an absolutely humbling doctrine, and there is no room in it for those of us who know Christ as our Saviour to be filled with arrogance and pride. We absolutely deserved nothing from our God. We deserve to be left in our sin, 
and to face God's wrath for the praise of his glorious justice. Instead, he has extended to us mercy, just as he has withheld mercy to others. I do not understand today why I am a saved man. I cannot tell you about that young man all those years ago after that youth rally. Has he come to faith? I certainly hope so. But perhaps that day he was not able to grasp salvation because God had withheld mercy from him. That is a humbling thought. It causes me to tremble. And today as I sit here and and make this podcast and think of members of my own family who do not know Christ, who do not seem to have any need of Christ, they do not want to know anything of Christ, it humbles me. Here am I, a wretched sinner, deserving God's wrath, and instead I have received his mercy. Election should not cause us to stand on our tiptoes with pride, but it should drive us to our knees in worship, adoration, and prayer. In this created order of God's, he has created some for honourable use and some for dishonourable. And indeed it is up to the potter who shapes the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honourable use and another for dishonourable use. If we believe today that we have fully grasped God's eternal decree and we understand fully election, then I feel that perhaps we have fallen into the sin of arrogance and pride. And if we use our beliefs as outlined here in chapter 3 of the Confession to lambast other Christians who struggle with these things and believe that we have gone wrong here, then friends, I pray that the Lord would pull us back. These are not doctrines for arrogance and doctrines to beat other Christians with. And I believe that as this chapter ends, paragraph 8 is an incredibly wise paragraph from the Westminster Divines. Essentially, paragraph 8 says, Tread carefully when we are coming to teach this doctrine. Tread carefully when we are explaining it to others. Tread carefully when we are debating and discussing this doctrine. Leave no room for arrogance. Leave no room for pride. Tread carefully. The doctrine of this high mystery of predestination, says paragraph 8, is to be handled with special prudence and care, that men attending the will of God revealed in his word and yielding obedience thereunto may from the certainty of their effectual vocation be assured of their eternal election. Just as we tread carefully in this wonderful, glorious doctrine, it is also of great use to us. The doctrine of God's eternal decree is to give us assurance. We are to be assured, says paragraph 8, of our eternal election. And this is the joy of God's eternal decree. We do not believe as Reformed Christians that God has merely made salvation possible. We believe that God from start to finish has accomplished salvation for his bride, the church. This is of great joy. I am not in God's good books one day and then out the next. Our God has not decreed that I will be saved for a time and then I will lose that salvation. God's eternal decree is sure and it gives us great assurance in the highs and lows of the Christian walk. We are part of a remnant, says Paul in Romans 11 verse 5, which has been chosen by grace. And whenever we believe that there is anyone who can bring a charge against God's elect, Paul reminds us in Romans 8 and verse 33, who can bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. 
And in Luke chapter 10 and verse 20, the Lord Jesus Christ says, Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. My brothers and sisters, as we listen today to this podcast, I pray that the doctrine of God's eternal decree, the doctrine of God's election, will drive you to worship. It will cause you to marvel at God's saving grace. It will cause you to be assured of your salvation, knowing that you are saved not by your works, and you are not staying in God's good books by your works either, but you are saved and sanctified by the grace of God. Election doesn't fill us with arrogance and pride, but it does fill us with joy and humility and certainty that salvation is all of God. And whenever we question and worry and doubt about this doctrine and believe that it sounds incredibly harsh and difficult, then I pray again that we will be humbled. In Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29, we are reminded that the secret things belong to the Lord. Paul says in Romans 11 and verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom of knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Perhaps in the entirety of the Christian faith, there is no area that shows our lack of knowledge the way predestination does, the way God's eternal decree does. And so friends, today I urge you to tread carefully. I urge you to handle these things with prudence and care. I pray indeed that in this podcast and in the episodes related to chapter 3, we have done exactly that. But I urge you as well today to be men and women that rejoice that God has decreed to save some. And yes, his mercy has been withheld from a multitude, but he has extended his grace-filled hand to you and I. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, certainly, absolutely, because Christ has done the work. And so friends, today, pause as we reflect on the great and high mystery of predestination and bow before your maker and worship him. For truly, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. In closing today, we have four questions for you to consider. Question 1. How is the imagery of 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 19 to 20 helpful in our understanding of this doctrine? Question 2. Why is it true to say with R.C. Sproul that no one gets injustice? Question 3. What use is this doctrine in the Christian life? And question four, which of these following statements is true, proving your answer biblically? God has made salvation merely possible, or God has made salvation for some certain. Friends, as I complete this podcast, it is Christmas Eve at the tail end of 2018, I want to thank you for listening and subscribing to the podcast. I do hope and pray that it is of use to you. And by the grace of God, we will return early in 2019 as we start to look at the Westminster Confession, Chapter 4. Until then, I trust that you will have a wonderful Christmas and a happy and peaceful New Year, with every part of it full of Christ. 
That's all for today, and indeed this year. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn, and until next time, this we confess. <laughs>